Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 15 to 23 this morning and next, and um, by spring break we'll be in chapter 2, so I hope you have a copy of God's Word this morning, and if you do, physically or electronically, open it up and let's go together there to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. This is what the Word of God says. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? All of that according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When I was in elementary, I remember being introduced to an author slash illustrator by the name of Chris Van Osberg. He authored and he drew pictures and illustrated his own work. And among um, some of his famous titles, one that you may be familiar with is Jumanji, or here in Texas, Jumanji. And in addition to his popularity and his different famous titles, something else that is most familiar associated with Chris Van Osberg's works is Little Fritz, the Bull Terrier. Anybody ever hear of Fritz, the Bull Terrier? I think we have a page from the the work of Jumanji up here. Now go two over for me. That's my fault. Here little Fritz is displayed as a wooden toy with wheels on him. And and every book, although this was unintentional from the beginning, um, initially it was not intentional by Van Osburgh, but he put Fritz in one of his first works. And what he began to do is just, the custom became that in every work of Van Osburgh, he would place Fritz somewhere in the pages of his works, And he would be found or discovered, and there would be an adventure for children and adults trying to find little Fritz. And and as you see on this page of Jumanji, pretty simple, pretty straightforward, but but others, um, like the the middle um, image we just saw, go to that one, it's a little more difficult. In fact, you may not even be able to see it here, but it's tucked away in the, the top right corner of a drawing from the child in this work where the child has actually sketched out the little bull terrier Fritz. Don't try much longer. You're not going to be able to see it in this image. But as fond as my memories are of Van Osburgh in elementary school, going through these books, there's one that sticks out above all the rest. And that's that picture we saw very first of the front end of an 18-wheeler. The book's called Just a Dream. You see the boy laying in bed, and he's having a dream, and apparently there's some type of dream of an 18-wheeler crashing into his bedroom And I'll never forget the adventure of two and a half full days looking for Fritz in this book. Not just me, okay? The entire class. But look at Fritz. He's there just as a a mount on the the hood of this 18-wheeler, 
Simple, right? So obvious, isn't it? But for whatever reason, us in elementary school, our entire class kept flipping through the pages of just a dream, no fortune to find Fritz. But then there was one day, I remember, across two desktops, my classmate, as, as the, the schedule had been over two and a half days now, flipping through the pages, looking for Fritz. It was Friday. We knew the weekend was coming. We had to find Fritz. And there, my, my classmate was flipping through the pages like normal. I was there across, and he turns the page to this one that we'd all turned so many times before, and there he was. From two desktops across, I see this upside-down Fritz mounted on the hood of this truck. I'm like, oh my goodness, there he is. But isn't it interesting, something we've looked at all along, something that had been there plain as day, so obvious all along, but what did it take? It took this unique perspective. Never did I think that looking at this book upside down in my eyes would reveal something so powerful, so exhilarating that had been there all along. The most beneficial perspective of a truth, a reality that had been there all along that came about because it was illuminated in a new or different light. That's what Paul is sharing here as we get a glimpse of his prayer life in these verses I just read for you. Paul's sharing this prayer to his friends in Ephesus, and it's a prayer that's it's just saturated with gratitude for his friends, his fellow believers. But it's also a prayer that's saturated really with these, these types of daily groanings, requesting something of God in the lives of his friends at Ephesus. So this glimpse of Paul's prayer life is gratitude, thanking God for his friends and what they mean to him in his life as a fellow believer. But it's also this request that on a daily basis, these believers would have a far more beneficial perspective than they've previously experienced of an eternal truth that's brought about because a new light is shining on it. Paul says, I'm praying that every single day Though it's not as if something new has come into existence, I'm praying every single day that you grow in the knowledge of who he is and all he's done for you. Go with me and let's, let's see what that looks like. So, so he opens up and he says, there's this reason, friends, I've, I've been praying for you, and there's this reason that comes to mind when I pray for you that I just can't stop giving thanks for you. So here we're on the heels of this run-on sentence, verses 3 to 14, and it's really this doxology where, where Paul, he's putting on paper to the Ephesians what's in his own heart and his own prayer life. Of, he's just praising the Lord for, for who he is, the Father of love, the Son of grace, the Spirit of secured, sustained fellowship. And as he's remembering who God is and all he's done in redemption, he says, for this reason, I can't cease to give thanks for you. I remember you. And, and he says the reason for me always thanking God for you, friends at Ephesus, is because you have also received the redemption through God. He says, I find myself in my prayer closet. I, I praise God daily for my own salvation that I've received his grace, but I also praise God because you've received it as well. I praise God because I know he has too given you a faith. So he just rejoices over that. It's truly exactly what the title of what we've called Ephesians, Jesus and one another. He says, I've been impacted by God, so I praise him. 
You've been impacted by God. So I praise him that he's impacted your life. And then he says, I also praise God because out of your being impacted by God, you have impacted me in a powerful way as well. He says, I praise God because you're recipients of grace. I praise God because when I consider your lives, I see traces of grace demonstrated in everything that you do. And right here, just in the opening verse, it's really a convicting reminder, isn't it? I mean, obviously, how indebted we are to the grace of God that's been extended to us, absolutely. We were unholy enemies of the cross, but, but God, the Father, in his love sends them the demonstration, the manifestation of his grace and God the Son to redeem us. Absolutely, we should always have a, a heart filled with gratitude for that. But also, how indebted we are to other people in our lives who out of their connection to Jesus have been such strong instruments of grace to you and to me. How indebted I am to the innumerable people in my life who have been recipients of God's grace and out of that benefit, they have blessed me. I think of parents and grandparents from the day they found out that they were expecting twins, my parents were expecting twins, they prayed for our health and vitality. From the day they found out they were expecting twins, they prayed not just for our physical vitality, but for our spiritual welfare. Men and women, still too many for me to ever know on this side of eternity, who as instruments of grace prayed that gracious gospel seeds would be planted in my life, that I would come to a place of salvation. I look across this room. I know there's a number of you who have sought me out personally. Pastor, I want to pray for you during the week. But I don't want you to think I'm being flippant with it. Hey, Pastor, tell me a certain day of the week that you need prayer most, a moment in the week you need prayer most. I want to pray specifically during that time. And there are some of you who pray specifically at different occasions during the week, every single week for me and my welfare following Jesus and my family and the ministry here at Katie's First. And what I'm convicted and reminded of here in Paul's own prayer life is, oh, how indebted, how grateful I am for each and every one of you. And out of your connection with Jesus and our connection with one another, you deeply bless me. And what I think it puts us in a position of, as we're reminded in Paul's own prayer life, is when's the last time you did articulate such gratitude to the Lord? I mean, absolutely, we should be praising Him daily for our salvation, but when's the last time you found yourself intentionally taking time and saying, Heavenly Father, thank you for placing so-and-so in my life and blessing me? If you can't remember the last time you've done that, this is not me prompting you, but this is the Word of God prompting you. You need to do that this week. You need to carve time out where you seek the Father in His Word and your own devotion, and you need to write down, make a list of those who have come in your life previously, those who are in your, in your life currently, who are a blessing to you out of their personal devotion to Jesus. What else might it mean? Not just when's the last time you thank God for them. When's the last time you intentionally went to that person physically, and shared that gratitude to them. 
They've encouraged you. They've strengthened you. It makes me realize my withholding encouragement to others. If I just stay in my prayer closet and thank God for fellow believers, that does accomplish some powerful things. It is encouraging. It's strengthening for the body. But what Paul shows us, he's in prison and he takes the time to write a letter and send to them in the entire opening chapter of six chapters in this letter to the Ephesians. And he wants to make sure not only God hears his gratitude, but that they hear his grateful heart for the connection he has with them. Might there be some believers in here this morning who need to list out the names of people in their lives and and thank God for them, but also then put a plan in place over this next week or the, the coming weeks to go seek those people out and intentionally articulate gratitude for their being in your lives. Maybe it's picking up a phone and calling a loved one. There's something here that Paul demonstrates to the Ephesians, but It doesn't end there because really the the heart of this, we do get a glimpse of Paul's prayer life, but the heart of this is the actual request he makes for his friends in Ephesus on a daily basis. He says, as I praise God for my own salvation, as I thank him for saving me, I thank him for saving you, but there's also this request I make on your behalf every single time. And it's a request for revelation. It's a request for growing knowledge. It's a request, as it says in verse 18, that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. Paul says, my single prioritized focused prayer for you is that you would have an ever-deepening, transformative knowledge of Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Paul says in another way to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 10 of that letter, that I might know the power of his resurrection, that I might share in his sufferings, that I might experience the fellowship of his death, that I might just know him better. Peter himself, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the last recorded manuscript we have from this apostle before he went to be crucified upside down in the Colosseum was he said, my request to you, my plea to you, you as believers, is that you would find yourself daily growing in the grace and the knowledge of your Savior, Jesus Christ. We see it from the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter. We also see it from Jesus himself. Before he goes to be crucified for all humanity, John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is not explaining some kind of how-to of salvation or how to have reconciliation with God the Father. He's describing the, the fullness, the totality of existence on planet Earth and for all eternity is to continue growing in the knowledge of the depths of who God is. And though we'll never be able to grasp the fullness of height and depth and breadth of who God is because He's God, We know the longer we serve him, the sweeter it grows. We know the more we dig into the riches of who our God is, the more we desire to know him, and the more we realize how small we are and how much more there is to explore and discover about who he truly is because he is God. And any supposed God who has a limitation, 
whose ways are searchable, any God whose depth is so shallow that you actually reach the bottom. He's no God worth serving, but we know that's not the case. With our God the Father in his love, God the Son in his grace, and God the Spirit who provides this fellowship of relationships. So Paul says, my prayer for you is that you would just know him more. He's praying on a daily basis that God would provide these Ephesians a spiritual perspective of an eternal truth in a new light. Notice what it's not saying, though. Paul's not saying, hey, Ephesians, I'm writing you this letter. Hey, Ephesians, you've got some manuscripts in the Old Testament. Hey, Ephesians, you've heard about Jesus who was dead, buried, and raised from the dead. Um, That's not enough, so I'm praying that God would give you a new revelation. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul's prayer is that out of their relationship with Jesus on an ongoing basis, God would show them his spiritual perspective about a truth that is eternal, a truth that has always been there and will always be there by illuminating with with the spirit of life, the spirit of light in some way that we haven't seen before. Think about Jesus, the light of life, the light of life for men. He comes into the world as the light of the world. Did Jesus begin to exist as the Son of God only when he experienced clothed in the flesh? No, an eternal truth of who Jesus is always existed. He was always the Son of God. But there came this new discovered spiritual perspective when God became man. And when this new spiritual perspective about the eternal truth of who Jesus was became illuminated in the incarnation, radical transformation happened. So Paul, out of thanking God for his friends in Ephesus on a daily basis, his request is that God, out of their connection with you, would you continue to show them a new perspective of who you are? Would you continue to show them something that might seem so simple and obvious in front of them that they've missed this entire time? But would you show them in a new light, a different angle? Would your spirit illuminate this eternal truth, whatever it might be in their lives, that they might plunge the depths and the riches of who you are in a deeper way so that they would continue have this ongoing transformation in relationship with you. That's the glimpse we get from Paul's prayer life. He's thanking God for friends in the faith, and he's begging God to continue to reveal who he is to friends in the faith so that it might have power and transformation in their lives. We'll get to the um, second half of this next week, looking at what that actually means. And something most powerful about it is, We already have all these things. We have the inheritance that's promised to us. We have the holy calling. We have the power of the resurrection within us and and God the Holy Spirit in us. We have this treasure. It's just a matter of getting to a place in our lives where we seek the Lord and have him allow us to see it. Because honestly, we get through the grind of week to week. We get in the distractions of this culture. So often we miss what's right in front of us. So as we look at Paul's prayer life, what I love about Paul's prayer life is it really speaks to the season that we're in as a church family. We're putting all of our resources on helping people connect to Jesus and one another. That's all Paul talks about in this book to the Ephesians. But that's all God has ever been about from before he spoke time into motion. Having an authentic connection 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and out of that, having a connection with one another. And that's what we're called to. And so we look at this prayer life of Paul, and we ask ourselves, what should our prayer lives look like? Well, one, we thank God that we have connection with God the Father through Jesus as Savior. Two, we we thank God the Father that we have others who have a salvation in Jesus that we can do life with and have community with. But then we also, we beg God to use us as gracious gospel seeds planted in others' lives that he might use us as instruments of grace to help draw others to salvation. Isn't that exactly what we did just yesterday? 50 of you, not me personally, but 50 of you, feed the hunger. took two hours out of your cold, miserable, rainy Saturday. And you packed different bins to, to provide nourishment to people physically around the world but also planting gospel seeds that out of your connection with Jesus and one another, others who are lost and dying and going to hell might receive faith on Jesus as Savior. I think we've got a really cool photo of some of those who who gave up their time. Look at that. I think we had some as young as five years old. I don't think we had any as old as 105 years old, but we had a great cross-section. That's what we find in Awaken West Houston that's going to officially start this Wednesday, uh, March 2nd. That out of the salvation we're so grateful for and out of the community we're so grateful to experience with one another who are saved, we're intentionally seeking the Lord that he would provide an enlightenment, an awakening to those who are dead in our area. That those who can't spiritually see right now would have their eyes opened. That God would grant a spiritual perspective to 93,000 homes within KDISD. That as a result of his faithfulness, he would draw men, women, and children to the opportunity not just to respond to the gospel, but to have faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ. So we thank God for salvation. We thank God for other salvations. We pray for salvation. And then we pray for God to help us know him more. God, I want to know you more today than I did yesterday. God, would a a better illumination of who you are in my life today help me step out in a deeper, more disciplined devotion to who you are? God, would you help my brothers and sisters today see a new perspective of who you are and the fullness of that so it compels them to surrender an area of their life that they've been withholding up to this point? And then we pray again for the lost. God, There are men, women, and children, 93,000 households in KDISD who don't know you as the one true God. And would you bring about something in their lives, even if it takes wrecking the lives they know up to this point, so that they would come to a saving knowledge of you as the one true God and Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. What I believe Paul does in his own prayer life here that models for us today is that he keeps the main thing, the main thing. The main thing is this. Thank you, God, for salvation. And God, the salvation that saved us for all eternity, would you continue to grow our knowledge of you so that it continues to grip our lives in this process of sanctification? See, that's where we're at in the local church here, the lowercase c, but his prayer life and what he reminds us of also provides a great perspective for where the big church, big C is. I got a letter this week um, that was referenced from a missionary pastor in the Ukraine. 
He and his family have been there for 20 years. He, his wife, his children. God's called them to the Ukraine that is now a war zone. And the temptation is to be distracted literally by the things flying overhead. But he keeps priority and focus. Here's some words that he wrote that came into my inbox. As if Afghanistan wasn't enough, now we must bear witness to the fall of Ukraine. It's disheartening. It's disturbing for me. It's interesting times for us, for Ukraine. In fact, for the whole world, I think we have no plans to leave. Where would we go? This is our home that God's called us to. From my perspective, the idea of leaving is like a betrayal to those people that we've been investing in for 20 years. They don't have the chance to leave And many of them don't have the chance for any hope beyond this world outside of their missionary efforts. The hardest thing for me personally, this pastor says, is having conversations with our children about the threat of war. Especially our youngest, seven years old. Where to shelter from bombs. Where to hide from soldiers. How to charge the family iPad if there's no electricity. Her questions, not ours. He says, I've never lived in a war zone before. Being in central Ukraine, we may be passed over as troops head on to more strategic conquest. Who knows? We've been living with this threat for a decade now. Here's what he states. I believe that during times of crisis, people understand they need God more than ever before. There's this pastor who's wrestling daily, thanking God for his own salvation, but then he can't He's not gripped by anything other than hoping that those around him come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and an understanding of who God truly is. Therefore, I hope new opportunities will arise to provide physical and spiritual support to those around us. I pray that God would best position us as Christians to make an eternal difference. We can petition God for peace, but in the big heavenly scheme of schemes, in ways we can never comprehend, we want more opportunities to grow God's kingdom regardless. We don't know what will happen next, but we remain assured of our faith, our salvation, our future, and we remain committed out of our own salvation to sharing the knowledge of our God with others here in Ukraine. That's what it's all about. Men, women, and children who've experienced a life transformation and a relationship with Jesus gathered with a cloud of witnesses alongside one another and saying it doesn't matter if I'm living on the mountaintop of life in Katy, Texas where everything is at my fingertips or if I'm living in the war zone of Ukraine As long as I have breath in me, I am doing all I can to be a tool of God's grace to help others around me gain God's spiritual perspective of an eternal truth in a new way, and especially those who are lost, dying, and going to hell. So right now, what I want to do before we sing our final song, I'm going to pray specifically for this pastor and his family and and those other missionaries over there who are keeping the priority and focus. 
But I know what he would say that his prayer for us is. He thanks God that we're saved and in gospel partnership with him. But he would also pray that we would know God more so that our heaviest insatiable burden might be for the lost around us in Katy, Texas.